Well, as we're starting to see in this series, blessing is one of the central themes within the family and within the bigger picture of God's promises to bless this family and to bless the world through them. As Mark mentioned last week, he said, we often most hear the words bless you after someone has sneezed. And I realised that my standard email sign-off is, is God bless, which is a type away very easily. When you read stories like this and you follow through what's happening, you realise that the idea of blessing is so significant. Not only God's blessing, but even within human relationships. So I decided this week I'm going to keep using God bless when I sign off my emails. But what I'm going to try and do is every time I write it, I'm going to pause for a second and specifically pray for that person to know God's blessing. I think that's probably a better way for me to recognise the significance of talking about it. Because, you see, God still blesses his people. That's true both for Isaac, who's messed up so much, and Jacob, who's going to keep on getting things wrong. They will still know God's blessing. But it's also true for you and me, that the same God who blessed them is still pouring out his blessings on us today. God still blesses his people. And I want to reassure you with that this morning by showing you three ways that God still blesses us even when things feel like they might have gone wrong. And the first is that God blesses his people despite our weaknesses. Just let me read those first few verses again and we want to think about Isaac. When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he could no longer see, he called for Esau and said to him, my son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I'm now an old man and I don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your equipment, your quiver and bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now, first thing to notice, again, there's a lot of food references. I think that's why I was drawn to this story in the first place. First, we've seen Esau throw away his birthright over a stew. And now we're going to see Isaac making bad choices because of his hunger in his last days, like father, like son. And in his weakness, he plans to try and overturn the prophecy that the blessing would go through Jacob's line and not Esau. Do you remember that right at the beginning? God said, even when they were still in the womb, the older will serve the younger. And Isaac, in his weakness, his favorite son, even though his favorite son has sold his birthright, is going to try to engineer it quickly in his last few days in order that his favourite son would get the blessing. So straight away it raises a question for me, and it may well do for you. It's a big one. When we reach the end of our days, what's going to be on our heart? What are we going to value? What are we going to want to look back on? Isaac seems focused firstly on getting his favourite son, something that he's already lost, And then secondly, he seems motivated by his sort of hunger and superficial needs. Well, not superficial, but surface needs rather than the promises of God. I hope that for all of us, when we reach our last days, central to our thoughts will be to remember, God has been faithful to me and he will be faithful now, even in my death. I mentioned Dietrich Bonhoeffer a few weeks ago. You can tell he's been on my mind this year a lot. And when he was being taken to his uh, execution at Flossenburg concentration camp, just two weeks before the Americans liberated it, 
As the guards came in to take him away and it was obvious what was about to happen, he just turned quietly to one of the other prisoners on his side and he said to him, this is the end. But for me, the beginning of life. This is the end. For me, the beginning of life. I want to have that faith. I want to have faith like that. I want to have the faith like that now. I want to have faith like that throughout my life. And I want to have faith like that on the day that I die and go to be with Jesus. But do you know what? I feel like I can't create that faith for myself. I can't do it. I know how easily I would buckle in that sort of situation. And so the answer, thankfully, is that I don't have to create that faith. It comes to me as a gift. And it can come to all of us as a gift by God's grace. We can say this prayer, Lord, may my every breath and my final breath be an expression of thanks and trust and praise. May my every breath be an expression of faith and trust and praise. You see, God still blesses his people despite our weaknesses. And the second thing is that God still blesses his people despite our sinfulness. Let's move on through the story. We've thought about Isaac. Let's think about Rebecca and Jacob. Verse 5 says, Now Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. She's eavesdropping. That's why we've got an open door. I don't think the doors looked like that 4,000 years ago, but uh, you get the point. Listening at doors, plotting, deception, favoritism, it's all in there. Remember, we'd already been told that Jacob, the younger son, was Rebekah's favourite. Esau, the older son, is Isaac's favourite. And that clash, that has now caused this family to unravel. So whilst Esau is out hunting to try and win back the blessing that he foolishly stole, uh, lost to his brother, Rebekah will cook in order to trick her husband so that her favourite son will get the inheritance through deception that God had promised anyway. Told you it was like a soap opera. And I wonder when you were younger, did you ever used to play dressing up? Me and my brother used to play dressing up quite a lot. Um, I was going to see if we had any of the costumes left, but thankfully we didn't. Robin Hood and Little John was a favourite of ours. But I don't remember ever using goat skins to try and make one of us more hairy. I'm not sure how much fun that would have been. But here we have Jacob, the younger son, dressing up to be like his hairy older brother Esau. He's dressing up in order to deceive his father with the help of his mother. And twice, in both verse 19 and verse 24, when he's asked by his weak and dying father, is that you Esau? Twice, explicitly, Jacob lies to his dying father. You see, actually, there's a bit of a flaw in the plan. Rebecca can cook up a great stew. She knows just what Isaac will like. uh, And they can cover him, uh, Jacob, in goat hairs to make him hairy. But the problem is that his voice is different. He doesn't sound like his brother. I mentioned me and my brother growing up, and we used to find it hilarious when we were younger to pretend to be each other on the phone to our grandma. Yeah, we had a really fun childhood, you can tell. And I was probably uh, embarrassingly old by the time I realised that she'd known all along what we were doing. Um, But we did, and we still do, in fact, have exactly the same sounding voice. Unlike Jacob and Esau, it's one of the many things that was different about them. So when Isaac hears Jacob speaking, 
he gets confused and he can't work out which of its sons it is. It, it made me think of the story of Little Red Riding Hood. And I said, I wonder if Little Red Riding Hood is partly based on this. Kind of, what hairy hands you have, my son. What a thin, weedy voice you have, my son. But anyway, the deception works. Sort of. They trick Isaac and he gives that most extraordinary blessing to Jacob. Let me read it again for you because it is an incredible prayer of blessing over his life. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness, an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. It's an extraordinary prayer of blessing that Isaac thought he was giving to his older son, but instead, as God had said, was prophesied over his younger son, Jacob, who would go on to be Israel. You see, Jacob and his mum get what they want, but the way that they've got it is to lie and to deceive a dying, old, foolish man. They didn't put their future in God's hands. They acted deceptively to get it for themselves. It's as if they're saying, we need to make this happen because God can't do it. And there are consequences. Jacob's going to be exiled for around 20 years. The relationship between Jacob and Esau obviously falls apart for many, many years, and the whole family is sort of ripped in two. You see, if we're to claim our place in God's inheritance, if we're to claim God's blessing for ourselves, we must trust him and his way of doing things. If we take it into our own hands, it's like we're saying we know better than God does. And although God stays faithful to the promise, their sin causes all these ruptures and fractures and sadnesses along the way. Now, of course, there's forgiveness when we mess it up. There is always grace. But the more we trust him, the less we're going to need it. Last week, Mark suggested listing those things that you know you trust God with and those things that you, if you're honest, know that you don't. And it's a great idea. And maybe there are times in the past where you know that you've not trusted God, that you've put things in this column and you should have put them in this one. Well, take heart. Because God still blesses Jacob. He still blesses his descendants, eventually the nation of Israel, and through them comes the Messiah and his blessing pours out to the whole world. God still blesses his people despite our sinfulness in order that we might be transformed, in order that his grace might change us around so that we can and do trust him with every area of life. God still blesses his people despite our weaknesses and despite our sinfulness. And thirdly and finally, God still blesses his people despite our heartbreak. Let's pick up the story at verse 30. The deception has seemingly worked Isaac has blessed his younger son, Jacob. Let's pick it up at verse 30. Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence when his brother Esau came in from hunting. 
He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. And then he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of my games so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? I'm your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came and I blessed him. It's heartbreak for Esau. He's been tricked again. The birthright he'd sold as a young man has now been claimed by his little brother with the help of his own mother. As I said, it would put most soap operas to shame. And the way it's told is almost like a a tragedy, a play. You've got this sort of scene playing out as Jacob having tricked his father with a, a, a sort of hidden smile and a smirk on his face walks off stage left and just as he does that in walks Esau on this side with his game and he places it in front of his father and says here I am and his father says well who are you I've just eaten this guy's lunch and it was delicious and we might think to ourselves well it's just words if Isaac meant to bless Esau, then can't he just say, oh, hang on, whoa, hang on, hang on, family meeting. I got it wrong. <laughs> Take that back. Nice stew, but, you know, too treacherous. I'm going to bless Esau. Why can't he just change his mind? Well, it comes back to the significance of this idea of blessing, of inheritance and birthright, that really we just don't have the same in our culture. Once Isaac has made this blessing and prayed for it over Jacob, he can't simply take it back. He even says there, he will be blessed. He knows that it will happen because he's said it. He believes in the power of his words. Now, it actually doesn't end God's care for Esau. And it's interesting that in Hebrews, written hundreds, thousands of years later, in Hebrews 10, it actually says that God blessed Isaac and, uh, sorry, Jacob and Esau. As the writer looks back over the history of God's blessing with his people, it says specifically, God blessed Jacob and Esau. Esau doesn't lose God's care, but he is not going to inherit this blessing, this line of promise that is going to work through Jacob's side of the family until Jesus is born. And as we stand back and take in that wider scene, as you almost freeze that play in your mind with those actors, characters, as it were, on stage, playing out this terrible tragedy. You can see that Romans 3.23 is right. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, Jacob. And if we're honest, you and me. And yet... God will still keep his promise. He is still blessing his people. All those who put their trust in him come into this promise of blessing. Kent Hughes, an American pastor, puts it like this, having summed up all of the mistakes that all of those individuals have made through this story, he says this, but in and above this is something of immense beauty and grandeur. The invincible determination of God to keep his word despite the best attempts of his people to throw the whole thing off course. 
the invincible determination of God to keep his word. That is what our faith is built on. Not our ability to earn it, but God's promise to show us and keep us in his blessing when we belong to him. God still blesses us despite our heartbreak, our heartbreak over our own actions and failings, our heartbreak over the ways that other people have hurt us, our heartbreak over the world as we look out and we see it decaying and dying and rejecting God, our heartbreak for everything that's gone wrong, God meets us in the middle of that heartbreak. He shows us his grace when we come to him on our knees and we say, God, I cannot do this on my own. We cannot do this on our own. We need your love. We need your forgiveness. We need you. And that's when he meets us in our heartbreak. Picture this for me. In our story, in our account of what happened, we've been told of Jacob coming in and dressed as his brother he kneels before his father for a blessing picture this it's you going into the room and sat on the chair is God the father and as you go in thinking who am I to go before the creator of the heavens and the earth and ask for a blessing Jesus comes up to you And he says, brother, sister, you can go in as me. Not just wearing an outer garment, but I'm going to change you from the inside out so that when the Father sees you, it's like he sees me. But there's no deception. There's no trickery. There's no disguise. When we put our faith in Jesus... We are given his righteousness, his right standing with God. Unlike Esau, he is the perfect firstborn son. He is the one who has lived faithfully for his father throughout his whole life and deserves every blessing and every inheritance. And he comes to us as his brothers and sisters when we put our trust in him and he says, you can have my blessing. You can share in my inheritance. I want you to be with me. Go in and when God sees us, when we, when we kneel in front of the Father, he doesn't see us and the messiness of our lives. He sees the perfection of Christ. And he lays his hand on us and he says, I bless you. Here's the, the scandal of the gospel, and it is a scandal When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you believe in him, even if you still get lots of things wrong, if you trust in him, you are given his righteousness, his right standing with the Father. It means that God the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. And if that sounds shocking to you, it should. But that's the glory of his grace. And when on that last day, whenever it is, you meet him, if you're in Christ, he will welcome you like the father welcomes the son. 
He will love you like the Father loves the Son. He will bless you like the Father blesses the Son. But you must be in Christ. You must put your trust in him. You must have him as the Lord of your life. And then that blessing is yours.